Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Wow, that was such a nice welcome. Thanks, Tim. How's everybody doing? You good? Good. Man, it was so great to uh, get to worship with you guys. We're about to talk about worshiping, and we already got to spend a bunch of time worshiping Jesus here tonight. You know, I, um, as we were worshiping tonight, I, I thought about the fact that I grew up, I'm a pastor's kid, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, but I grew up going to youth group and student ministry, and I still remember to this day moments that I had with God when I was 15 years old, 16 years old. And I used to think, you know, at some point, I'm going to, like, become a person. I don't, I don't know. You always think, like, once I'm in college, then it's going to happen. Or once after college, then it's going to happen. And I'm just, I'm just here to remind you guys, like, the, the things that God is doing in you now, uh, you can remember for the rest of your life. And, and I'm living proof of someone who made decisions when he was a teenager. And those things, I'm still living out today. <laughs> so... Don't let anyone tell you that this is just a routine. Don't let anyone tell you that this is just what you're doing because your parents go to this church. No, God has something for you. And I'm just so thankful to get to partner with, uh, with you guys tonight as we dive into God's word. Um, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. Or if you have your, you know, an app on your phone, it would be great. Anything. I love it when you can follow along with something you're holding. I think that helps, uh, helps us helps things stand out to us as we go through a passage. So 2 Samuel chapter 24, and if you don't have that, we'll for sure have it on the screen, so don't worry about that. All right, well, as we get started, let me, um, let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we, um, we really are thankful that we get to be here. What an awesome thing to get to gather as your people and to get to worship together and then um, also now spend a time in your word. And God, we're asking you to speak tonight. Uh, there are things that you want to say to your children, and so we're, we're here with, with open hearts and open hands, and we're saying, God, do that. We're, we're ready. We're expectant. God, I know um, that's not something I can do, but that's something your spirit can do through me, and so I'm asking and inviting that to happen right now. God, would you uh, speak what you want to say tonight and that you would meet us here. Thank you that you are holy. You're not like us. <laughs> you are perfect. You never fail, and you never will. All those things, we're, we're just not like you in that way, God, and that's why you're the one who receives the worship that we've lifted up here tonight. And it's the name of Jesus that we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. If you are ready for me to preach, say preach. preach. All right. I like that. I like hearing from you guys, by the way. Don't feel like you have to be quiet the whole time. Um, so here, here's what I'm presenting to you tonight. I am going to appeal to you. Uh, when you appeal to someone, basically, I'm going to make a case for something. And we're talking about worship, and I'm going to make my case as to things should be this way, and here's why they should be that way, and maybe they aren't always that way, and they shouldn't be that way, so let's make sure they are this way. That's, that's what an appeal is. And my appeal is similar to what Paul was appealing to the Christians in Rome uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, meaning brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, say that last word, worship. 
It's your spiritual worship. What is your spiritual worship? It's your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, when Paul presents this idea of a living sacrifice, it's kind of like new language. He's, he's presenting something that's an oxymoron. Those two words don't go together, right? Because think about it. A, a sacrifice is an animal you put on an altar, and then you kill it. So it's not, not living, not living. And yet he's saying we're supposed to be living sacrifices. So what he's saying is dead in the sense of dead to my way, but living in the sense that I'm alive to God's way. So I, I'm dead to what I want to do. The things I, I'm always driven by me, 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 me. No, I died to that. And then I, I'm awakened and I'm alive to what is, what does God want? What's he saying? What's his word say? Like that's, that's how you're going to be a living sacrifice. Because if you do that, God will receive that as your spiritual worship. So Paul here uses that term living sacrifice and and what he's bringing up is this idea of an altar, right? Like I mentioned, a sacrifice would be placed on an altar. And so he's telling us that we're supposed to be building an altar for worship, for the worship of God specifically. And, uh, and so then I started thinking, look, how do we do that? How are we going to build an altar of worship? And that's the title of the message tonight, Building an Altar of Worship. So as I was thinking, how do we do this? I thought, let's go see someone who built an altar, someone who knows how to do that. And, and let's pull some principles from 2 Samuel chapter 24 and, and see what are the things that we can apply. Because they're, they're going to build, in 2 Samuel 24, They're going to be building an altar of worship to God. And here we're trying to build an altar of worship to God as ourselves, as the living sacrifice. So we're going to pull a few principles from that. And then, um, and that's it. That's the goal for tonight. So uh, let's go back to 2 Samuel 24. Let me give you just a little bit of context before we dive in. We're going to start reading in verse 18. But uh, before that, here's what's going on. Here's the sitch. We got King David. He's the main character. You guys remember David, right? David and Goliath and, you know. Everyone's like, okay, yes, that guy. So same guy, uh, David and Goliath. Uh, and he, he's like a songwriter with the harp in the field. He's like, I love Jesus. That's the same guy. And, uh, and so David here, what happens in chapter 24, this is towards the end of his life. And he sins against God by sending one of his uh, officers named Joab to complete a census. And uh, I'm not going to do a deep dive into why that's sin. Main point you need to understand is it's obviously sin because David realizes it's sin. And so he sins against God by completing the census. And then after he realizes that he sinned against God, God offers him three choices for judgment. This is like really bizarre stuff to, to see in God's word. He, God says, you can pick which, which of these three judgments do you want because of your sin. And the three options are that he would be, uh, that they would experience, the people of Israel would have three years of famine, like not enough food, um, or three months of being chased by their enemies, three months of being chased by their foes, or three days of pestilence, which is just uh, um, basically a different way of saying there's going to be a lot of death really fast in those three days. And then what David answers is really interesting. He says, um, I'm I'm going to put myself in your hands, God, because I'd rather not be in man's hands because I've found that men are not merciful, but God is. And so what David's doing there, he's basically removing that three months of being chased by his enemies option. And he's saying, I, I'm fine with three years of famine or three, years of, or three days of pestilence, whatever you want, Lord. So he kind of puts himself in God's hands. Then, uh, so then what happens is the three days of pestilence. 
And, and you need to understand the tension that's happening in 2 Samuel 24 before we dive into verse 18 because uh, the angel of the Lord is executing this judgment against the people of Israel and 70,000 men die just like that. I mean, I, we've never seen this. I've never seen this. It, it's happened in history, but you and I haven't experienced it. 70,000 people dead just like that. And that's how they, they used to count people just starting with the men. And so 70,000 men means, I don't know, somewhere like 150,000 to 200,000 people that are dead just like that. And the angel of the Lord is going through the land of Israel. And then what happens is he comes up to the edge of Jerusalem and Jerusalem is like, the big city. That's, that's the most important city to the people of Israel. The angel of the Lord comes and you can see him. We know that David can see him. So I don't know what the angel of the Lord looked like, but there he comes and he approaches the city of Jerusalem and then he stops and he pauses. And right when he pauses, that's where we're diving in. Okay, I need, I need you to feel the tension of the moment before we start reading in verse 18. That's, that's what's happening. They're about to receive the judgment of the angel of the Lord and then this happens. Let's start in verse 18. It says this. And Gad came that day to David. Gad is David's seer. That means God would speak to David through this guy named Gad. And he came to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. Threshing floor is just like a flat piece of land where they used to um, use it for threshing. And then David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded. And when Arana looked... Down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arana went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arana said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you. Notice that David says, to buy the threshing floor from you. That's why he came to do. In order, and here it is, to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. The reason David's building his altar is so that the plague, this judgment of the Lord, can be avoided, that it does not happen to, excuse me, to Jerusalem. So the first principle I see there is we build altars, first point, to seek the mercy of God. To seek the mercy of God. That's what David's doing. He's saying, we gotta build this, we gotta build this altar so that we can avoid this plague. So as we build our altar of worship, you need to remember that as worshipers, we seek the mercy of God. When, when we talk about mercy, mercy is when God withholds the things that you and I deserve. So we all have to understand that not one of us is perfect. We've all sinned against God. We've all broken God's way. God, say, God said, here's the way I want you to live. This is, this is the way. And we say, no thanks. We'd rather do our way. Every single one of us has done that. And because of that, we are in desperate need of God's mercy. Uh, God has to withhold the things that you and I deserve. You know what we deserve? Judgment. That's what we deserve. Condemnation. Those things we deserve, but God is a merciful God. Though men sometimes are not merciful, God is merciful. And, he, and so as we build this altar, we're asking God, God, would you be merciful to us? See, it's important that you guys understand that God is being merciful to you right now. Right now, the fact that we're all breathing in, breathing out, that's a mercy of God. We don't even deserve that. And that's why it starts to make sense when the psalmist says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Why? Because as you come into the presence of God, you're reminded of the fact that God is being merciful to you right now. And the greater your sense of your need for God's mercy, the greater your thankfulness will be to God in worship. 
You, you need to be aware of the fact that God is withholding that. He's withholding that right now and praise God because I'm a child of God and because of the work of Jesus Christ, he's gonna continue to hold that because he is a merciful God. So the first thing we do is we seek the mercy of God and that's important when it comes to worship because that's where it starts. So much of the things that we mess up when we worship God, it's because we come into his presence with the wrong position before him. It's almost like he's gotta break us down before we can worship. And that should not be, as a child of God, you should walk in and be like, I need God's mercy. I'm approaching him with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that because of your mercy, now I get to do this and I get to praise you. That's where it starts. If we're building an altar of worship, we gotta seek the mercy of God. All right, second point. First, you seek the mercy of God, then you need to give of yourself sacrificially. The key word there is sacrificially. Let's, let's see what happens after here, uh, jumping back in into the story. Verse 22, it says this. Then Arana, this is, this is the guy who owns that land, right, that David's trying to buy. Then Arana said to David, let the Lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All this, O king, Arana gives to the king. And Arana said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Arana, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Isn't it interesting? You guys noticed earlier, David came to buy that threshing floor and then Arana's like, here you go, man. Here's all the stuff. Not just the, not just the piece of land. He's like, here's some oxen and some whatever other things were listed there. He's just like, you can just have it. He's just giving it to him. I don't know exactly why, but if I'm Arana, and, and you see the angel of the Lord about to bring a judgment, I'm like, let's, dude, let's get this show on the road, right? Like, come on, as fast as we can. You can just have all this stuff. Just have it, David, and let's build this altar. He's trying to speed things up. And David says no. It, it, that is, that's so interesting to me. He says no because he doesn't want to give something to God that's free. He doesn't want to give something to God that's cheap, that's just super easy. <laughs> because worship is sacrificial. See, see, the heart of a worshiper is not a heart of minimalism. What that means is sometimes we approach God and we're, we want to be a worshiper, but we're like, God, what's like, what's the bare minimum I have to do? Like, what if I just do this much? Does that count as worship? What if I just do this much? That, that, <laughs> that's minimalism. And that's not the heart of a worshiper. The heart of a worshiper is the exact opposite. It's like, all right, God, what else can I do? <laughs> like, how much more can I give of myself? How much more can I lay it down? How much more can I sacrifice for you? Because the heart of a worshiper is not a heart of minimalism. It's a heart of sacrificing things because we will not offer things to God that cost us nothing. We're not gonna be like that. We're gonna be worshipers of the living God. And here's the thing, worship is going to call each one of you beyond the threshold of your personal preference. What I mean by that is, let's illustrate it this way. Let's say you're each standing and you kind of have a circle around you. Imagine that with me. And anything inside that circle is your preference. So I like this, I don't like this. I, I like that girl, I don't like that. No, I'm just kidding. It's whatever your preferences are. Uh, I, 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 I like doing this, I don't wanna do this. I'm comfortable doing this, I'm not comfortable doing that. That's your preference. And worship is going to push you 
beyond that comfort zone. That's what's going to start happening. Why? Because you need, you're going to have to get to the place as a worshiper where you're, you're seeing the things you would like to do and worship's going to push you outside of the place where what you're thinking about is what do I want and it's going to put you into a space where you start thinking what does God want? What does God want from you? That's the important question in worship. It's not really what songs you like. That's, I mean, I, I think it's great if you like that song or not, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what songs I like. <laughs> None of this stuff matters. You know what matters? What does God want? What does God want? What does he say in his word that he wants? And so if you're a worshiper of, of God, that's what we're saying we're doing. We're worshiping God. Well, then we should probably ask ourselves, what does God want? Because we don't want to give things to God that cost us nothing. We want to give him the things that he wants. So here's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to give you five offerings of sacrificial worship. I could have picked a lot more. I picked just the basics. <laughs> There's more in scripture, but I, I don't have all night. So I wanted to give you just these five. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through these five things and we're going to ask ourselves, are we doing this? Are we bringing this offering of worship to God? Why? Because God wants this. So first thing, we're going to start real simple. The first offering of sacrificial worship is singing. Singing. Psalm 96 verse 1 says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the, you say it? Earth. All the earth. Okay, so this, this is interesting. Look at what God's word says. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. So it would seem that if, if you live on planet earth, God wants you to sing, right? Is that a good interpretation of that verse? <laughs> sing to the Lord all the earth. What he's saying is everybody, Everybody needs to be singing to God, not just the people who like to sing, not just the people who, who think they have a good voice. It doesn't matter if you have a good voice or a bad voice. God wants you to sing. That word sing in the Hebrew is the word sheer. That's an easy word to study. Guess what it means? It means sing. Yeah, it's real deep stuff, guys. All right, so there it is, sheer. It means to sing, and God wants your singing. Now, I grew up as, like I said, I was a pastor kid. I grew up in Mexico City, Mexico. My dad's American, my mom's Mexican, so yes, I'm fully bilingual. I grew up there, I was born and raised in Mexico City. I didn't move to the States until college, where I went to Liberty University, and that's where I actually got a worship degree. All right, Liberty, great. I thought you guys were in high school. What's going on? <laughs> um, so yeah, anyways, I grew up in Mexico City. My dad's a pastor, and I started leading worship when I was 15 years old. Okay, and not, not like here, what it was here for student ministry. I started leading worship for big church when I was 15 years old. 15 years old. Now, granted, it was like 300 people, so it's a little bit different. But uh, I started leading, and when you're 15 years old, I, I hate to break this to you if you're 15 today, but you're not the wisest you're ever going to be in life, okay? You're, you're going to grow a little bit from where you're at. <laughs> and I started leading worship there as a pretty unwise 15-year-old kid, and, uh, and so I led like a 15-year-old would. And one of the things that I did that was not wise is I would lead worship. So imagine, we with a, imagine me with a guitar, and I would lead worship, and everyone's singing, and then I'd be looking around, and I'd be like, why isn't that person singing? That's so weird. Why aren't you singing? You know? and, and, and that's not a good thing to do as a worship leader. We should more model what it should be instead of making everyone freak out that you're like, going to do something about it. Um, because... Um, I did something about it, okay? Um, so, so, so after church, don't worry, after church, okay? It wasn't during service. I went up to him, and he was my friend, so it's a little bit of leeway there. And I go up to him, and I'm like, bro, why aren't you singing? <laughs> Just point blank. And he's like, what? <laughs> he's so taken back by it. And, uh, and he's like, look, man, I just, it's not my thing. 
It's not my thing. You know what he's saying? It's not in my circle. It's not in my circle of preference. It's not my thing. I don't like singing. And I was like, okay. So we just kind of left it at that. But then a few months later, we go to his nephew's birthday party. And guess what? I look over at him and he's like, happy birthday. (laughs) And he's singing to his nephew. And then uh, a a few months after that, we go to his, his favorite band's concert. And I look over at him and he was very much singing. Very much singing. So isn't that interesting? Even though singing's not his thing, there were places where singing was acceptable to him. And here's the thing. Look, if you don't like to sing, hear me. You don't have to sing anywhere else. You don't. But if there's only one place that you're going to sing, it should be for Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is because he wants you to. And stop, stop thinking about anything else. Honestly, like that can be such a stronghold in your life if you're constantly consumed by, by what other people think instead of being focused on what God thinks. <laughs> and God wants you to sing. All right, second offering of sacrificial worship is shouting, okay? Shouting. Woo, here we go. Psalm 66, one says, shout for joy to God, all thee, you say it, All right, come on, I'm talking about shouting. All thee, there we go. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. That's the word ruah, um, which means to cry out greatly, to split the ears with sound. Who knows what that means, but it sounds pretty loud. Um, To raise the war cry, to cheer, to shout in triumph. To shout in triumph. God wants your singing and God wants your volume. This is something that he has said over and over again. This isn't just one one verse kind of situation in the Bible, guys. I could take you to many, many places where God's like, yeah, turn it up, turn it up. And people are like, worship sometimes is loud. I'm like, yep, turn it up. (laughs) God likes this. God wants our shouting. It's going to be something of great volume. And he says, all the earth, again, you can't get out of this one. Okay, because I can already feel you guys. Some of you are starting to argue with me non-verbally. You're kind of like, yeah, but you don't know me. (laughs) Uh, I grew up, Eddie, I grew up in a real calm, quiet family, you know? And it's true. I've been, I've been in houses like that. If you came over to the Hoagland house, uh, when I was growing up, you would have been like, uh, why, is, why is everyone yelling at each other? Like, who, why is everyone so mad at each other at dinner? And we're like, we're not mad. We love each other. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was our family. But I've been, to, I've been to people's houses and, and they're just like, hey, Eddie, it's good to see you. And I'm it like makes me nervous. Like they're whispering all the time. And we're sitting at the dinner table and I can hear the sizzle of the food louder than the prayer that's like somewhere else at the table. You know, it's just like, it's just like, they're just so quiet. They're so soft-spoken. But here's the thing. If you came from that quiet family or if you come from a loud family, it doesn't matter where you came from. God wants you to shout. God wants you to find your 10 out of 10 volume and to offer it to him in praise that you would raise your voice for him. Third offering of sacrificial worship is clapping. Clapping is in the Bible. Did you know that? (laughs) It is there. Yeah. All right. I like this. It's interactive. Um, Clapping's in the Bible. Psalm 47, 1, uh, it says, clap your hands. All peoples, all peoples, all the earth, all the earth, all peoples. You guys see? (laughs) You see how God's saying, I want the whole earth to do this. Clap your hands, all people, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Loud songs of joy. So that's the word takah in the Hebrew. It just means to strike the hands together. The root of the word comes from from a trumpet blast, where it's a short burst of sound from a trumpet, 
And what we're saying is we are doing that, we're tokain, but with our hands. Boom, boom, that's what we're using. We're clapping and uh, it's part of our worship. It's part of our shouting to God with loud songs of joy. Now, back to this 15-year-old worship leader in Mexico City. We, uh, I grew up in a church that uh, was not like what we just experienced. I, I loved how the team led us tonight. There was just so much freedom, lots of these expressions already happening, and, and you guys are really blessed to be a part of a church and a ministry that's leading you in such a great way. But I grew up in a church where, so my dad's a pastor, right? So it, there was never a time where he was like, don't do these things. But if you came to church and you look around, you're like, Okay, yeah, we don't do that here, you know? It was just kind of like not said. And, um, and, and so we, we never clapped in church. The only time we clapped was like to congratulate someone for something, you know? But it was never part of worship. And so I'm, I'm leading worship, and this Sunday, I, uh, I'm leading with the, with the student ministry choir behind me, was in the, in the main service. And we are singing this song. It's from the early 2000s. You guys weren't even... You didn't even exist then, but um, it, it was a song called We Want to See Jesus Lifted High. Anybody know that song? hey yo, we got a little bit. Okay, here's how I'll know if you know the song. The chorus goes like this. We want to see. See, one person knows what this song is. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for knowing that song. Okay, this is like, I, I have to explain this to you guys. So in this song, we would, we would sing, we want to see, and everyone would go, clap, 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 we want to see, clap, 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 we want to see Jesus lift. Nope, just two times, okay? Get with it. <laughs> um, now, a lot has changed. We don't choreograph our clapping as much these days, right? It's, it's less of a structured thing, but, but we're singing this song, and I am leading it in, in my church there in Mexico City, and I got the youth choir behind me, so you know, I know they're going to do it. Like, I know they're going to clap. And so I start leading the verse, queremos a Cristo proclam, you know, I'm singing in Spanish. And, um, and as the verse, as I'm singing the verse, I just start sweating like bullets. Like, I'm so, so nervous. You know why? Because we had never clapped at church. And, and we're about to do it. And I said nothing to set it up. I was just like, here we go. And go, you know. So we're about to get there. And we get to the chorus. And I'm like, I don't know. What's going to happen? Like, are people just going to like leave the church? Like, it's just, it was so stressful for me as a 15-year-old leader worship. And, 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 <laughs> and we, we sang the chorus. And we clapped. And no one else clapped. That's what happened. If, you, if you're wondering what the end of that story is. No one clapped and nothing happened. Okay. So, <laughs> so that was a story. But but here's the thing, another reason why I was unwise, because I was, just, I was just doing it. Like, I would just throw it in there. I was not taking the time to explain to people the, the fact that God wants this. Uh, this is something that God's called for. This is not something some generation came up with this idea of what if we clap to God. No, no one came up with that. God came up with that. God asked for it. And so it's really important as a worship leader that you guys see that these things come from God's word, because I don't want you to, uh, to think that it's some sort of fad, like, you know, like skinny jeans or something, like they're going to come and you watch it, like 10 years from now, we're all going to be wearing baggy pants again. It'll just like cycle through, skinny jeans will come and go. That's a fad and oh, clapping, yeah, yeah, we kind of do that. Or, or even worse, you might even think that it, it applies to you because of your age. Like people would think, oh, clapping's for the young people. No, clapping is for the God people. <laughs> clapping is for anyone who wants to worship Jesus Christ. He is asked for clapping and because he's asked for it, I want to give that to him. All right, we've talked about singing, shouting, clapping. Here's the next one, dancing. Ooh, all right. <laughs> Everyone's like, yes, I love that. All right, here, here's where this comes from. God's word again, Psalm 149 verse three says, let them praise his name with dancing. 
making melody to him with a tambourine and lyre. Now, don't be fooled by the tense of that verse. When it says, let them praise his name, it's not like, like, let them if they want to. Like, you know, give them a corner and they can have, we can have dancing corner over there. No, that's not what that verse means. It, it, a better way of understanding the tense of that verse is, may it be so. Okay, so may it be that his name is praised with dancing. That's what God's saying. And the word dancing there is the word machol, which means to twist or whirl, to dance, including physical movements of various sorts, a joyful trembling in worship. Now, notice it's physical movements of various sorts. So it's dancing in worship to God. It's not like, oh, it's the Macarena. Like, that's what worship is. No, it's not. Yeah, now we're worshiping. No, it's not about the moves, guys. All right. It's about movement. It's not about what's the move. It's about what's the movement. Because, because there should be motion in worship. As you grow as a worshiper, you, you don't dance because it's something you want to do. You want to get to the place where you're dancing because God says, I want this. I, I want it to be that you would dance. Now, if you can imagine, if I grew up in a church that didn't have clapping, we for sure had no dancing. And, and so this was one of the other areas I had to grow in for sure. And um, when I studied the word machol, it was really helpful to study the root. In this case, if you've never, never studied a Hebrew word, one of the awesome ways you can study is you study the root and the root connects you to other words and that gives you a better understanding of the words you're trying to understand. So when you do that with the word machol, you end up studying the fact that the root is a negative application of the word and it means writhing as with pain, like twisting as with pain. Have you ever gotten hurt so bad that you're like, ooh, I got a twist. No, yes, maybe, okay, you have a blessed life if you've never been hurt like that. Okay, let me tell you my example. For Eddie, that's when I stubbed my toe. Okay, whew, <laughs> I'm getting a little weak even about to tell this story. All right, no, <laughs> um, so, so I, for me, it's when I stubbed my toe. So I got married 11 years ago. We were in Chicago, as Tim mentioned, and uh, I, bought a, I bought a bed from Ikea. Have you guys ever been to Ikea? It's really great. You buy furniture, eat a cinnamon roll. It's a great day. It's a great day. And the furniture is super cheap, but it looks cool. It's like modern and Swedish or whatever. And um, <laughs> so we bought this bed and, and, and we took it home. And, uh, and then I start building it and it took me, I don't know, 17 hours to build the bed. It's like really complex. I'm not really great at following just pictures. It's, there's no words at all. So you, you start building the bed. And then once I finish it, it, it looks cool because it's modern. But here's the thing about Ikea furniture. It, it's a trap. You have to understand this. They intentionally make it in such a way that you hurt yourself. So what they do is they make it so that the bedspread like goes over the edge. And what it's doing is it's hiding the hardwood surface from your feet so you think you're safe. <laughs> and you're walking by it. So sure enough, I walk by the bed and I hit my toe. And guys, I've seen different people respond different ways to that happening. Some people, <laughs> they just start running around in circles like a crazy person. It's <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know why that helps you, but okay. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more introverted. So for me, it's like, I enter the, into the fetal position. I'm like, whack. I'm like, <laughs> like it is, it is not, because it's not like, oh, I hit my toe. Eddie's toe hurts. No, it's Eddie hurts. All of, all of me is hurting right now. <laughs> And here, the reason why I, I, I twist and I writhe as in pain is because the pain is so great that I can't stay still. The pain is so great that I can't stay still. And could it be 
that as we worship Jesus and we remind ourselves of the things that he's done for us, that the joy of the Lord could get to be so great in your heart, you just can't stay still. You just can't stay still. So, so don't feel like it's like, I gotta do it this way. No, just let it, let it come out. You can move. I love the freedom. I, I saw people tonight, there's people just walking around. That's part of Machol, just walking around. If you've ever been to Israel, uh, you might see people, um, they kind of like sway back and forth in, in front of the wailing wall and they're being taught the word of God. They're memorizing the word of God. And I asked them, I was like, why are they swaying back and forth? And you know what they told me? It's their dancing. It's their dancing, it's their worship to God. It's because any motion would be under this category of machol, that this would be motion as worship to God. And if God wants it, I wanna find a way to give it to him. Even if it's outside my circle of like, that's just so not me. Again, worship's gonna push you beyond that circle into the place where you're thinking, does God want this? All right, last one. Last one is the raising of hands. Again, straight out of scripture, Psalm 143, verse six says this, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you, like a parched land, Selah. I stretch out my hands to you is the word paras. It just means to spread out or stretch over. If you've ever had someone teach you like, you know, this means this, and this means this, and this means this, and I, I'm like, I don't know where you got that from. Like, the Bible just says, stretch out your hands. It's a very general term. Um, and clearly here, the stretching out of the hands, what does it look like it means? Well, it means my soul thirsts for you. It's an expression of need. It's saying, God, I need you. I'm thirsty for you because I'm in a dry and parched land. And maybe that's where you're tonight. Maybe you're in that dry land. And you're like, how am I going to get out of this dry land? Well, I, I don't know what else the Lord has to teach you, what he's, what he's purposed for this dry land in your life. But can I just tell you, you can express your need of God in the dry land. And you can stretch out your hands to God. And it doesn't only have to be an expression of need. It can also be an expression of just blessing God. That psalmist says, I lift up my hands to the holy place and bless your name. It's, God, I love you. I want to say that you are a good God. I'm blessing you by lifting my hands to you. And because I didn't clap growing up and we didn't dance, you can imagine we didn't raise our hands either. Which, side note, if we were to all go to Mexico City and see that church I grew up in, you'd be blown away at what God's done since. It's just so awesome to see. They're completely a different church. There's all this freedom now and all these expressions coming out. But, um, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't ever raised my hands, ever. And, and I grew up, all through youth group, nothing. Never raised my hands in worship to God. So I moved to the States at 18, I'm getting a worship degree, and they used to lead us in worship at the start of a class. And, um, and so one day I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to raise my hands. And so they start leading us in worship, and I, uh, I'm like, okay, what's the rules here? Like, when? What? You know, what am I supposed to feel in order to raise my hand? There was no rules, right? So I was just like, okay, well, here we go. So I sat in the back. You better believe I sat in the back. And, uh, and they start leading us in worship, and I was just like, and... And they're up, you know. <laughs> like, like there was nothing like magical about the moment. The point I'm trying to make is that experience for me was not special in regards to what happened necessarily in, in my emotions or in my heart that day, but it was really special in regards to my obedience. I, I could sense God delighting over the fact that even though it was very uncomfortable for me, I chose to do it out of obedience to God. And, and he delighted in the fact that it was a sacrifice. See, it cost me something. The reason worship pushes you outside of what you're comfortable with is because that's how we know it's gonna cost you something. 
And this, this strain that you feel in your heart, that you're like, ah, I'm okay with this, not okay with that, that's part of you growing as a worshiper. And so you're going to seek the mercy of God, you're going to give of yourself sacrificially, and then final thing, let's see, how does the story end, right? What happens? What's the end of the story? Verse 25, last verse, says this, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. (laughs) The plague was averted. God answered. And the last thing you're going to do as you build your altar of worship of God, you need to know that you're going to get to see the response of the Lord. That's the last point. You get to see it. Now hear me, you don't get to decide it, but you get to see it. And that's an awesome opportunity. You're going to get to see what it is that God is going to do in response to the plea of his people. And, and I love that here you get to see how merciful and how gracious God is because the plague was averted for them. And hear me, if you're a child of God, a plague has been averted for you too. You have avoided the plague of death, spiritual death. That's been avoided because of the work of Jesus Christ. You know, when I was first studying this passage, I don't think I realized what this threshing floor was. Uh, I wasn't fully conscious of it. And, and check this out. The threshing floor, this is the purchasing of the threshing floor, 2 Samuel chapter 24. And David, after building this altar, you know what he does? He starts gathering up materials to build a temple. But he doesn't build a temple, and he just gathers the materials, and he hands it to his son Solomon, who ends up building the temple of God. You know where? <laughs> Right there. Right there where they had seen God respond in mercy to them. They build a temple of God. And the temple of God is where the presence of God would dwell. And it would dwell there as a reminder of the fact that they had built an altar, sought his mercy. They had given of themselves sacrificially. And then they got to see the response of God. See, sometimes you and I feel distance between what happens in the Old Testament and what's happening today. And I understand why you can feel that distance. But listen, we have a lot of things in common with those people. We really do. They were worshiping God back in those days through the tabernacle and temple worship. You know that they had to worship through a high priest. And you and I today, we worshiped with a high priest. This is what the Bible teaches. We have a high priest. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Tonight, you and I get to worship because we have a high priest and today we worship because a sacrifice was offered to God. In the Old Testament, they had to offer sacrifices to God to worship him. And a sacrifice has also been offered the perfect sacrifice. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, you remember what he said? He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. Jesus was a sacrifice. And so we worship with a high priest and we worship with a sacrifice that was offered to God. 
So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, and I appeal to you, students of New Life Church, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Seek the mercy of God, give of yourself sacrificially, and see his response. So I close by just asking you this question. How can you grow as a worshiper? How can you grow as a worshiper? Because hear me, if as I was sharing those lists of things, if there was a voice inside your head that was kind of like, man, you're bad at worship. Just don't worry about this sermon. You're just bad at this. Don't listen to that voice. Listen to the voice that was saying, hey, here's an opportunity for you to grow. It is God's grace to you tonight that some of these things have come to light. He's not trying to shame you. He's calling you into the light. He's calling you into the freedom and saying, hey, here's a chance to grow. So don't be overwhelmed by many things. Here's what I want you to do. Just think, what is the one thing I can do to grow as a worshiper? So go ahead and just bow your heads, close your eyes, and spend just a few seconds there with God and and, and decide that. What is the way that you can grow as a worshiper? And then once that's revealed in your heart, then just tell God, God, I want to grow in this way. Will you help me? Father, you hear every single one of our prayers. I'm thankful that I'm thankful that you do hear us. And we thank you for Jesus, who's our great high priest and the perfect sacrifice. For he ransomed us to God. He, he's the one who paid that price so that now we get to be in your presence, we get to be your children, all these things that we receive because of his work. So God, help us to grow. And Lord, would you open our eyes to the moment when we have a chance to grow and would we, we just want to give you our yes in that moment. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.